0: Hey y'all, it's Orlando. We just wanna let you know that the views and opinions expressed during this podcast episode are those of the co-hosts and guests and not their sponsoring institutions. Now, let's start the show. Hello, Detroit and the world. Welcome to another episode of Authentically Detroit Broadcasting Live from the WDET Studios, Detroit's NPR station. This episode is brought to you by the Ford Foundation, and we are a content partner to BridgeDetroit.com. I'm Orlando Bailey.
1: And I'm Donna Givens-Davidson.
0: Thank you for listening in and supporting our efforts to build a platform of authentic voices for real people on the east side of Detroit. (laughs) We want you to like, rate, and subscribe to our podcast on all platforms. Today, we are excited to welcome Meredith Freeman, who serves as the Director of Impact Investing at the Fisher Foundation. Also joining us for the first time ever is <laughs> Tasha Tabra, who serves as the investment officer for the Kresge Foundation. Meredith, welcome back to Authentically Detroit. Tasha, welcome to the podcast. What's up? Yeah, I I was, I
1: know, how, how did this happen?
0: <laughs> Tasha loves us. That's how it happens. It That's how it happens. Because it's like, I can't believe, like I was telling Donna earlier, I'm like, I can't believe this is Tasha's first time on the podcast.
1: I know, right? Right. that was a real shock to
0: me a real shock I mean we're talking about Meredith's an old pro, but we're talking about Tasha Tabor on an ECN corporate champion uh, the uh, one of the first investors when she was at uh, JPMorgan Chase in our economic development work along Mac Avenue on over there like you know I Tasha G
1: I cannot wait to tell you what that investment has yielded it's amazing and, um, you know, to have somebody take a chance on you like you did on us and say I'm going to, you know, support this vision really made all the difference in the world.
2: It was an easy one. It was a great vision. It mm. still is a great vision.
0: show is. How y'all doing? <laughs> show is. <laughs> good. I'm I ain't even to... there no more, but I know it is. Meredith, <laughs> how you doing? <laughs>
3: I'm good. I'm happy to be here with Tasha because I have been in spaces with her when entrepreneurs, like, turned off the music and said, stop, y'all, this is our girl. We wouldn't be here if it wasn't for her believing in us, and I witnessed that, so... There you go, Tasha.
2: I did forget you saw that. I saw that very (laughs) recently. (laughs) But you deserve every bit of that. Every bit of it.
0: Tasha, how are you?
2: I am wonderful and glad to be here with all of you. And again, you know, this is a room full of greatness. So uh, this is the way you're supposed to spend your vacation day. I I don't know. (laughs) We love you for it. (laughs) You're shaking. You
1: You know, this is also Orlando's vacation day. Yeah. So yeah, um, yeah. So only two of us are supposed to be at work today. <laughs> no, this was a vacation for me. Too. Everybody,
0: <laughs> so only me. Well, only you know what? There.
1: I have been off for so long with bereavement after bereavement, and yeah. so today is my first day back.
0: How was? How, how did it go? How you doing? Really well. Yeah, yeah really
1: well. It was. Yeah. Um, you know, I love ECN. Uh, I love the mm-hmm. staff and the work that we're doing, and so um, you know, it's great to know that you can step away and grieve and then come back, and you don't have to worry about watching your back or the work not being done not moving forward everything was humming along and i came back and you know joined conversations midstream so it was was a good day
0: yeah testament to your leadership absolutely you know what i mean like hiring leaders who are able to carry the vision Mm -hmm. in your absence and you come back Mm -hmm. and you could just get right back into the wave of things testament to the staff your leadership and and strategy that's dope oh thank you said better yeah Yeah. And if you should need more time, you know, you should take it. Right.
1: You know, you know, actually being at work, I love working. I love what we do. Um, I've had rest, but, you know, we're taking care of the community. We are solving and working collaboratively on taking care of needs. And, you know, as I was discussing with a staff person, if you, um, you know, everybody loses their mother at some point. Right. Unless Mm. their mothers lose them, which is, you know, pretty Mm. tragic. Um, And everybody loses siblings unless their siblings lose them. This is part of life. And so I'm not exceptional in that sense. And I just want to be part of a community of people who've um, just embraced so much loss. I mean, so many people have been lost over these past couple of years. I thought I was over the hump, like nobody got COVID, nobody died from COVID. But, you know, as it turns out, there are excess deaths. And we have so many things that have happened in our community where people don't have access to quality medical care people are shut in place and not doing the kinds of things to maintain their physical and mental health that, um, we're seeing a lot of people just not, you, you look at some people, it's like, well, you're aged. Right. <laughs> and, and I'm not saying that to be me, yeah. my sister and my mother really aged during the pandemic. Mm-hmm. It really had demonstrable impacts on them. You know, there was a, the whole year where we were afraid to see them mm-hmm. <laughs> and then we did and they were weaker And, you know, everything was just sort of changed. My sister retired in the midst of a pandemic Mm -hmm. and um, retired from Blue Cross Blue Shield. I want to put this out there just because it's important. She retired from Blue Cross Blue Shield in June of 1960. I mean, June of 2000, um, 2021, and didn't fill out all of her paperwork correctly. Therefore, she did not have health insurance. Her health insurance was supposed to resume July 1st, and she had a doctor's appointment July 6th. Um, how can somebody work for Blue Cross Blue Shield for 20 years as a nurse case manager and die as a member of the uninsured is beyond me. Um, it's absolutely crazy. We really need to do a better job closing healthcare gaps. And I kept telling her, you can go to the doctor anyway. You will qualify for some support. And she just was afraid to go and unwilling. Um, so, it's a consequence and I think our whole community is living with that and living with grief. And so mm-hmm. I tried to place my grief in the context of a community that's grieving mm-hmm. and an enormous sense of loss.
0: Yeah. And you, you, you tell a great story and want you to tell this story about the, the inspiration for the, the wellness hub um, at ECN. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: Okay. So um, my sister's a registered nurse. And she worked in nursing for many years and her back kind of went out. And so she started working at Blue Cross Blue Shield as, um, you know, a nurse case manager. Somewhere around 2006, somebody called in to Blue Cross Blue Shield and they said, Linda Givens is an angel of mercy. She saved my life. And that actually went into a Blue Cross Blue Shield commercial. <laughs> so she was so proud to be called Linda Givens is an angel of mercy. You hear it all over, you know, the radio. Um So as she was set to retire, she was trying to figure out the next phase of nursing for her. And she says, Donna, I'm going to volunteer for Eastside Community Network, and I'll come down a couple days a week and do health screenings. Um, I'll be able to do something, you know, like that. And so she retired in June of 2021 with the goal of, you know, doing health screenings. And as she talked about it, and she was talking about the need for it, I was like, we really do need to do health screenings. And everything that was done, and I was like, why don't we have a wellness hub? And She was the genesis of the idea that we could screen and protect people's health, that we could do a better job making sure people had insurance. And she talked about doing health education. So June 2021 rolls around, and she's sick. And my mother's weaker and weaker. And so we're trying to get my mother into some type of regular care um, because we can see she's not doing well. I didn't understand. Linda didn't have health insurance. I was so focused on trying to get my mother what she needed. Um, but her back went out and she was having, um, you know, chronic pain and difficulty, um, moving around again, I think the pandemic contributed to that. And so she never had an opportunity to volunteer, but what she did was create the genesis of an idea that we should be taking care of people's health on a regular basis. And one of the reasons why we had so many pandemic deaths is because people didn't know their health status. Mm -hmm. People say if you have a pre-existing condition, it's more dangerous for you. How many people did not know they had a pre-existing condition mm-hmm. until mm-hmm. they, you know, were hospitalized? And mm-hmm. um, so we want to make sure that people know that that people have primary care uh, access to a primary care doctor who is theirs. You don't want to get a primary care doctor while in the hospital in the middle of a pandemic. Right. That's right. Because those folks don't know your history and they aren't about to learn you. it and are not yeah. about to fall in love with you. So your primary care doctor is the person who you should be seeing. And in our community, it's huge that people don't have that. And so one of the roles, and this is our partnership with Henry Ford Health Systems and Trinity Health, is really to bridge that gap so that people do have um, primary care and that they, um, you know, understand how to access non-emergency medical care. Right.
0: It's huge. It's yes. huge. Yeah. Well, we are, we're holding you up and holding you in space. Uh, we... We went on last week without you. We're glad that you are back. Welcome back. Um Welcome and, back. and we're glad that you're back to work <laughs> to you. and, you know, doing the work of steadily building uh, Detroit's uh, east side. All right, y'all, it's time for Hot Takes, where we run down some of the hottest headlines of the week, fresh from the press at Bridge Detroit. Malachi Barrett is reporting that the city council president floats preferred leaders of the reparations task force. I don't know if you all remember, but on uh, the last um, uh, election, I think it was the 2020 election, uh, Detroiters uh, voted in favor of establishing a reparations task force that will look and study um, some of the systemic impacts of racialized segregation Uh, systemic and institutional policies that showed up in black communities in a disparate way to figure out how to repair, right? How to repay. And so this work has been has been going has been going on. Uh, there there has been a steering committee since and now council today, which is Tuesday, has passed a resolution to go ahead and open up the task force for applications so that people can apply. Anybody, any Detroiter who's been here at least six years can apply. You don't need to be black to apply. That was that was something uh, surprising um, to read. But but council members can also Uh, nominate themselves and anybody uh, can apply but today there was also some news around who the council president mary sheffield would want to assume leadership positions in the task force and she told bridge detroit uh that she will likely appoint planning commission chair Lauren Hood y'all know that name she's been on we here do. before uh Detroit attorney and real estate developer Chase Cantrell I think y'all know that name we too do, we do. Michigan Democratic Party caucus chair uh Keith Williams I know we know that name and Michigan Democratic Party deputy voter protection director Dorian Tyus as the executive committee members of the reparations task force now this this is this is going To be interesting, especially when we figure out how um, how many people will be seated and who will actually be seated, even just from the uh, the executive committee. Or the the potential exec, executive committee that's named. I know I know all those folks, and all of those folks think uh, l- number one love love the city of Detroit, love black people, but also have different strategies toward how to get to repair uh, what reparations mean. Right, and so it'll be interesting to see some of those conversations and how the conversations have been going. Um, It will be a 13 member task force that will study how to make up for historic injustices endured by Detroit's black population. So this is happening. It's not enshrined in an ordinance right right now. It's just a resolution. um, And uh, there is no uh, conversation happening just yet around how, uh, you know, the initiatives that, recommended from this task force uh, will be funded. Uh, Mary Sheffield's strategy is to go ahead and seat uh, the task force first. Donna, what say you?
1: Where are the historians? Um, We all have great ideas for what needs to be done, but I think that before you start talking about reparations, whose root word I think is repair, we have to do a good analysis of the harm that was done. Um, and really give the community opportunities to give feedback. So you have two people who are basically politicians, and that is Andrew Ty- Tyus and Keith Williams. Dorian. Uh, Dorian Tyus, I'm sorry, Dorian mm. Tyus and Keith Williams. And then you have a developer whom I love, and then you have somebody who is really focusing on um, Afro-urbanism, which which I think is really important, Right. But I think the historians like Jamon Jordan or Ken Coleman who are able to document the specific harms in the past are needed at the leadership of this initiative.
0: At the leadership. Um, Well, the areas of expertise sought for representation cover 12 professions, including historian.
1: But I'm talking about the leadership. Yeah. And I'm saying if she's appointing these four people, and am I correct in saying these are the four people who are going to lead it?
0: Executive committee, yes. Okay.
1: So if you are the executive committee It's not inclusion if you're not able to help shape it. I'm reading, you know, I'm thinking back to the closure of I-375 and the way that that has been framed. I want to read a quote. Yeah, It was black residents and black businesses that were hurt when Black Bottom was wiped out, and they were displaced for the construction of this freeway. Black businesses today should benefit from the enormous development opportunities this project will create. The equity of who participates will be just as important as how the new boulevard will ultimately look. I don't know that black capitalism is a remedy for um, black oppression. The people who were harmed, it's interesting that black businesses should benefit and not the, the ancestors, or I mean, the, the, uh, the, the offspring, not the descendants, the, the descendants thank you. you the go. descendants of those people whose housing was displaced. Yeah. Not mm-hmm. the descendants of those people who had their lives torn asunder in more than just an economic way. We're in a time right now. We acknowledge that there's a housing gap. We understand the role of a housing gap in the wealth gap. We understand that black bottom was majority black because housing segregation forced us to live in these conditions, and that when you created these slum conditions and you decided, oh, wait a minute, black people should live in slums, you just tore down the slum and pushed them into another slum mm-hmm. that you created and then, in nineteen sixty seven you had the rebellion, which is a direct offspring of that the, the disinvestment in our communities. And so it seems to me the narrow thought that businesses should benefit, and I'm not saying they shouldn't, but the idea that you're creating this high-value real estate downtown and you're going to make certain people millionaires and put their names on things is problematic. The other thing I want to say real quickly is if you look at the, um, what's happening in the, the Harmony Park and you look at the car Center.
0: The yeah, car right there, center you know, was
1: a uh, place in the old, you know, it was the uh, right? Right. Was it um the what's the name of the park right there? I'm sorry. Still in the little bit of fog. You know, the right park across from the right, Casa. Yeah, I know right, what you're talking there's about. There's a park right there. Yeah. And that park is remember. supposed to celebrate black history. And we were supposed to develop that into a black development area. And the first thing they did was move the car center out of this building and force the car center somewhere to to find real estate somewhere else in the city. If you were intent on preserving that for black history, you would have kept the car center there. Now, I understand that um, the folks over um, the Michigan Chronicle and a few other black businessmen and Dennis Archer Jr. benefited from that. But that's not reparations. And so for me, I just want to make sure the historians are there, that people who are really committed to understanding and sharing and discussing best practices are at the table.
0: Yeah. So we, we it, there's 13 seats. The executive committee is not seated yet. The article does cite that they are going to be looking closely at Uh, The resurfacing of I-375 and, you know, for the I-375 project, I I share your concern because I think that resurf. I mean, from cement contractors to businesses to developers, there are a lot of people that are going to become wealthy from that. And I think we need to have uh, be having this conversation about who those people look like. And I know it's a cross section project between the city and the state. Um, but, but, what but, does contracting j- look like? Procurement? What, how, how are we reaching and thinking about, like you said, the descendants of folks who were displaced uh, from black bottom, paradise Valley. I mean, I think that that's right in front of us and but, this and is happening.
1: But I do want to just clarify. Yeah. I think that Mary Sheffield said that chase Cantrell, Lauren hood, Keith Williams, and Dorian Tice will be executive committee members of the reparations task force. Right. right. And so, if if there's going to be other executive committee members, are you saying that the other people also be on the executive committee? Mm, that being, I don't know. Or, or they're just going to be on the task force?
0: I don't know. That's a good yes. question. Yes.
1: So I think it's really important to understand that. Um, we she, know the
0: council president listens to this show.
1: Council well, president, come on. Come on. But she said she really wanted the task force to be driven by these individuals within our community who have the expertise to inform the council on the various recommendations and decisions. So there's no housing person there. Or maybe I have to look that back up. I mean, housing justice person, you know, because we have some people who work in the space of justice in the city of Detroit, and I don't see their names there. And that's not a slam on anybody whose name is listed there. I just think that if we're really looking at trying to achieve justice, add some names.
0: Yeah. What's the difference between the executive committee and the task force at large? What powers would the executive committee have that the task force would not have? Do we know?
1: I mean, executive committees usually um, have... The most power. I don't know exactly how those powers get meted out, but usually an executive committee is the committee that drives decision making, sets the agenda um makes a lot of hiring decisions and the like and so for me again i think it's important who sits there and how representation is done we have the detroit justice center for example we have so many people who are working exactly amanda alexander you have so many people working in areas of justice Mm -hmm. it seems to me to have an inclusive process that looks at the economic impact and the political impact but also at the um justice impact of some of the past harms.
0: Yeah, it feels like some of this work has been done in the dark. Well, we we will be paying attention to what happens there. That's but I think it's exciting. We're going to have a reparations task force in the city of Detroit and I think that is a mm-hmm. uh, super exciting progress. It, it is. It Definitely is progress. Big. All right, that wraps up hot takes. If you have pieces that you want discussed on Authentically Detroit, you can hit us up on our socials at Authentically Detroit on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Or you can email us at authenticallydetroit at gmail.com. Super excited that Meredith and Tasha are here today to talk about an op-ed that Meredith and Sarita Scott wrote, uh, who is at the Kellogg Foundation, wrote an opinion in uh, Bridge Detroit entitled Mountains Move When Black Leadership collaborates and so i'm excited to talk about collaboration and the importance of a black philanthropic strategy across the foundations here in the city so meredith great job on the opinion you and serena did uh, an amazing job tell us what uh the impetus for writing the opinion was
3: Well, obviously the story really starts with the Detroit Black Community Food Security Network uh, led by Malik Akini. but there's many, many people engaged and involved for more than a decade to bring this vision to reality. So, you know, it really starts with them, really starts with the community, really starts with all the work that they did. But I think that Sarita and I thought that we needed to write about this part of the story because folks need to know what happens when black folks are in positions that that we can make a difference internally because we're connected externally. And so we just wanted to tell that story. We wanted to tell the story about how we networked with one another, how, you know, Sarita was just, she had just come to Kellogg, like uh, a few months in and she was just like, okay, we're going to fund this. We're going to make this happen. How are we going to do it? And she called the first meeting of the funders together. All of us have known Malik for a long time and, uh, but she called the first meeting. It was like, mm. okay, what are we gonna do? Who's putting? Kellogg had been funding DBCFSN for a long time, um, and it was an expensive project. I know Tasha will talk about about that. Um, but we called folks to the table. What are we gonna do? What can you do at your organization? What can you do at yours at Fisher? All I could do was program related investment, which is. Um, a, an important piece of it, mm-hmm. but I didn't have grant money, but it was still a piece that was needed. And so we cobbled it together. I won't even say cobbled it together because that sounds like it's scatterbrain. <laughs> and it wasn't scattered. It was really like people were committed. It made sense because this was black led. It was in a community that needed this, um, this, this, Cooperative model of getting access to fresh, healthy food, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and it was in the North End where you know they're fighting their, you know, fighting for their lives against folks who want to take over. They just it is, mm, yeah. And so, um, so anyway, so I'll just say that Sarita and I, were like, we got to tell this part of the story because it it matters when Black folks are in positions connected internally and externally and can um, add to the story.
0: You and Sarita wrote something that struck me, and you said that. This kind of of collaboration amongst foundations um, in this way is rare. Yeah. Why is it so rare? So rare.
3: Yeah, um, a lot of different things. I mean, different foundations have different missions and priorities, grant impact areas, um, and so sometimes there's no. There just there just isn't alignment, um, and sometimes there isn't anyone who's really connected enough to to be able to make the phone calls. Well.
1: I think that this is a really unique point in our history Mm -hmm. and possibly something unique about Detroit in this point in our history, right? Mm -hmm. That you have so many people who really know and love the Detroit community working in the space of philanthropy and um, whose commitment is really to use and leverage their roles yeah. to move the process forward. Tasha, is that your finding? I know when I met Tasha, I would say this. <laughs> I was in the North End and for a brief period of time, she was at Vanguard. And so, you know, both Wait, of us. Wait, what?
0: Had... I didn't know that. <laughs> yes. Uh,
1: yes. Okay. Yeah. Donna
2: was my boss. <laughs> Oh, wow. Yeah.
1: (laughs) Yeah. So we do have history, but it was right Mm -hmm. in that neighborhood. And Mm -hmm, so there's mm -hmm. a sentimental feeling of being there and seeing things moving there. But do you think that your connections to the city, and I know how strong they are, um, and being in philanthropy has sort of changed the moment that we're in in Detroit from um, the past?
2: I have. So, yes, in short my longer answer would be it's just thinking about the navigators of, of capital and philanthropy Mm -hmm. over time. Right. If you think about the spaces from the beginning of my career um, in 99 and what the, like the banking landscape looked like, what the philanthropy landscape looked like, what the development of real estate looked like, Mm -hmm. you know, there was that authentically black um, leadership in all of those spaces existed. And then you saw in 2008 when, you know, we had this uh, recession in this moment and we saw so much talent leave the marketplace and you saw the convergence of banks and it got bigger and bigger and you saw philanthropy and it changed. Um, you know, you lost a lot of black leaders that sat in place of, of power to move capital in different ways, which is the reason why I, I moved the way I did in, in, in my career, because I wanted to see black leadership in real estate I want to see black leadership again um, and I'm talking about in private development, right and mm-hmm. a lot of our, our real estate talent was gone. She was
0: gangster in how she moved to her career. <laughs> it was, it was I don't
2: know about that career. but I just um, um, wanted to see that again you know mm-hmm. and so when Meredith talks about um, people being in positions of power and using those opportunities within philanthropy, um, you know black leaders and women, black men um, saying okay, we're going to step up and do this together. there's been examples of that. But it's not, you know, it is rare to say, you know, can we in philanthropy, you know, put aside the things that, you know, we have to do from an outcome perspective for our organizations and figure out how we're going to get past those those metrics and really look at the bigger picture around health. Right. And outcomes, right? That's what we're that's what we're talking about. Like what you talked about earlier, Donna is like how do we make sure that we have access to quality, equitable food. In this North End neighborhood, this is an important thing that we're all going to stand behind and we'll figure out the internal pieces within our organizations and black leaders actually sitting in that space to do that. And then going internally and then figuring out the rest of it that, you know, that doesn't happen all often, especially when you're talking about a twenty one million dollar project. Um,
1: and not, not in Detroit. Right. Not Detroit. So I think, you know, we have people in those spaces Right. But not collaborating in those spaces. There's a different mindset to some of the folks who are sitting at these philanthropic tables. Mm -hmm. And I have to say it's improved. And I, I don't know whether it's just because philanthropy is changing and we're learning from that period in the past where everything had to be outcome driven. And you had to prove that you could do, you know, change the world in in two years with twenty thousand dollars. <laughs> you know, it's you. like that's, that's <laughs> it's crazy. Big piece. you know. Because listen, um, Serena's not here right now, but you know, I pitched, you know, the the Stoudemire to 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 Serena, and she came back and said, "I'm going to give you general operating support." <laughs> <laughs> I was like. My, oh, my. She gave me three years of general operating support and said, use this as you need. I'm not tying it to a project. Come back to me for a project grant sometime in the future. And that's different thinking. Nobody – you know who else did that is um, Shamil at Kresge. We are part of the Kresge Climate Health Mm -hmm. Initiative, and we were applying – you know, we had all these, you know, things that we were going to do, and she changed it to general operating support. Sure. And we're seeing that with philanthropy in ways that we haven't in the past – is it the people who are at the table, or is it the time that we're in, or a combination of both?
3: I think it's all of that. Um, I think it's the appetite within to try to do something different. I think in the past, the, the, one of the barriers is honestly some some foundations want attribution. They want attribution more than they want contribution. It just that's it, that's just. You guys reality. talked a little bit about that in uh, the we op-ed, talked about that and, before,
0: and, yeah. and 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 tell tell us why this op-ed isn't a piece where kellogg and fisher foundation is bragging but really trying to provide you know amplification and agency to a project that it, that is absolutely phenomenal yeah
3: yeah so and it is it's not even just about kellogg and fisher it really is about all the foundations yeah. we just kind of wrote it together yeah. um but it's we worked cooperatively for a cooperative grocery store like this, that's the the model that they're promoting, which flies in the face of capitalism. When you talk about having black members who are making decisions about this entity, not just the grocery store, the community center, the real estate, all of it. And, um, you know, our contribution was to work cooperatively (laughs) around supporting this project. So,
0: so let's name some of the players. Okay. Um, and then I want to, I want to talk a little bit about the money. Uh, but, uh, Meredith, Ooh. you, you were making a list like, okay, I got to get, make yeah. sure we shout out everybody. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's talk about the players. I'll do yeah. the
3: players and let the, the money lady talk <laughs> oh, about Oh, boy. Because I follow okay. her lead. But, um, mm-hmm. but definitely, uh, Kevin Ryan from Ford Foundation, Nate Wallace from Knight. And I have to give shout out to Linda Joe Doctor, who was a program officer at the Kellogg Foundation who started funding Detroit Black Community Food Security Network many years ago, mm-hmm. like, mm. like it's been, 15 yeah. years ago or more. Yeah. Um, uh, Wendy Lewis Jackson, they had, um, Kresge had given grants well before the, the PRI was in, um, McGregor fund. We had Heidi on a couple of calls. Um, So, and then
0: Baba yeah. Maliki Keeney on well, the ground. That's,
3: and, yeah, and Sonia Mays that and side, yeah, Oren and his a, team yeah. from uh, Develop Detroit are the development partners with mm-hmm. DPCFSN, and so we followed their lead. Yeah. And right. it's a it's a big project, big expensive project.
0: Yeah, right. so what the, the article cites that amongst all of those foundations and mm-hmm. some of the ones that you didn't name, you guys have raised over $6 million. It's a high price tag, but for me, it's like... That yeah, that's good. We, we can do more, with six, six we million. Started we started with six, six
1: and leverage more.
2: And yeah. leveraged So more. how much more did you leverage? How much did you leverage? It's so that number has grown. It's and grown. What yeah. I would say, okay, so we're the projects at twenty one million, right? Mm-hmm. And so when you think about how much debt is actually like debt that will stay with the project over time, that's less than it's like less than twenty five percent, right? So mm. the rest of that has been subsidies. Um, that have helped leverage up like new markets tax credits, which which will be Come forgiven on. over time. Like yeah. this pro- this project um, has had a lot of love. And what I t- what I remember saying is in every seat I've sat in um, over my career, I've seen this project right. at Bank of yeah. America, at Jake B. Morgan Chase at Invest Detroit. And now at Kresge, right. that's how long they been Malik, a long Yankini and his team and his in the, the community have been thinking and trying to figure mm-hmm. out this project. When I what I remember, and it might have been smaller than this, but what I remember was this project was less than ten million dollars. Yeah. Mm-hmm. When when I saw it some time ago, and we were contemplating, could this actually be a project that could take on like something complex like a new market tax credit transaction? It wasn't quite big enough, right? And so mm-hmm. over time, this vision. Um, the size of this project and the scale of it, the people that have been involved in it—it's um, not twenty. It's, it's double, like double the size of what I remember it being. You know, a decade, a decade ago. Right. So some of that is cost, but a
1: lot of that has been because the vision continues to grow too. Yeah. So I, I you know. To put together a complex deal like that for something. And, you know, hats off to Mc- Malik Yakini. He is I mean, absolutely. such an Baba. amazing leader, absolutely. right? Um And for, you know, I'm on the east side of Detroit, but this feels like it's my win, too. We're not in the north end, but people in Detroit will go to we Whole going. Foods. We going. And if we go to Whole Foods, you know we're going here, right? <laughs> it's absolutely. on the Woodward That's bus right. line. Yeah. Um, we go, And, you know, he's not even in the North End, he's um, in Northwest Detroit, bringing something to the North End mm-hmm. that is really a centralized area to demonstrate a model of cooperative ownership, cooperative leadership. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I'm really excited about this, to take something that sounds like, because I remember I saw the, the pictures, right, and I was like, oh, that's beautiful. And I'm really mm-hmm. thinking, oh, it's too expensive to be built, you know, because you don't really mm-hmm. expect that to happen. And when I saw the news that he had paired with Sonia Mays, and then finding out that you guys, because I didn't know about your philanthropy mm-hmm. um, behind this. When I was first reading, I sort of read the city was putting money in mm-hmm. and not you all. So this is a great story and it needed to be told that you came together and did that. I have to be honest with you, as a nonprofit leader, you see that. Now my first thought is, Ooh. I have some ideas. <laughs> <Hey>. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely right. And if you've ever worked with Donna me, you know sure I have I'm some ideas, right? Uh, but uh, I know uh, a lot of us <laughs> have these visions <laughs>
0: that
1: are you know, and we're afraid to dream big, right? Mm-hmm. I remember when I was thinking 'cause it was, I'm like this
0: price tag is not mm-hmm. compared to oh. what we see in the kind of subsidy and philanthropic and corporate support that a lot of development projects around the city that are not black get. This this is
1: but but you know the we difference is we can. We but can the difference it. is that and maybe I'm mistaken by this, this doesn't look like it's going to be a huge money maker at first, does it? Or will well, it
2: Well, grocery stores? I mean the margins. margins. Slim. Very, very slim. Very, very so, slim.
1: You know, this feels like it's the first mm-hmm. time where you have sort of this mission driven project of this size in a in a long time. Mm-hmm, yes. Um you had um what was it, the the the, the youth um Oh my God! The youth center across the street from there, Youthville. Youthville. You had Youthville. Youthville (laughs) Youthville had that kind of price tag, Um, but not maybe not as much philanthropy. Maybe not the business plan, and so you don't have sustainable investments at that level.
2: Yes, that is true. Um, development capital is very, very difficult to do for projects like this. And it's not typical for, again, going back to rare, it's not typical for foundations to get into a development project, right? Because then you have to pick because there's so many great visions in right. our community of what um, should be happening by our residents and by our community. So, Um, you know, but this project was so special because you think about the number of nonprofits that will be served by this, right? The number of businesses that will be served by it. The fact that we're talking about a cooperative model of food, um, that hasn't happened in the city of Detroit. It was, it hit all of like those, the special points for Kresge, right? I mean, all Mm of the things that we do with internally. Um, so, uh, it was one of those things where you just couldn't deny the fact that, we're at the we're at the finish line we've got to finish this out right i mean they've you know this has been um something that the community has continually supported and been behind right this isn't, wasn't something that's okay we got excited about it and it didn't kind of fell fell aside no they've been at it for a decade mm-hmm. and they're letting us know this is what they want
3: mm-hmm.
2: right? um they have they're putting their money behind it they're putting their hearts behind it and so we have to as an organization also put our 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 money where and, our and
0: it sounds more like you know we're coming in as partners Absolutely. And not like, here's what we need you to do and right. sort of tell you to do. Like the tendency right. that philanthropy has yeah, We pulled up the rear. We came, we came <laughs> in after. Because if we I know Malik, Malik is like, y'all going to do, <laughs> y'all going to fall in line with what we've but been you, doing and what this plan is, you know, right? Because, you know, Youthville
1: was not from the ground up in the same way, right? <laughs> yeah. It was foundations saying, yeah. here's what the community needs. And that may have contributed to Some of the challenges, um, because there wasn't the model that was really rooted in the community. But My question is, it was a great article, is this a one-off? And if not, are there opportunities for those of you in philanthropy who (laughs) care about this to educate people who might have big ideas what it takes to bring a big idea? Because you're not going to be able to fund many, right? Right. But people may want to know what's the secret sauce so that you can replicate and this can be something more than a one-time thing. You want to
3: start? I'll start. I mean, I do think it's patience um, because any type of real estate, we just know it doesn't happen overnight. It doesn't. It's multi-layered. This capital stack was crazy in terms of like all the layers. And it takes a long time to get all those layers in place. And even though 21 million sounds like a lot, but not a lot in a in a black neighborhood, black led development. You know, it's a lot because margins margins because it doesn't attract the kind of investment that or traditional investment i'm using my my air quotes here like right <laughs> that that other developments would and so i think you know the first thing is patience in holding on to that vision cuz one thing I can say about Malik and the community is like, this is what we want. And there there were people who tried to get them to shift here, shift there, do this, do that. And they were like, no.
0: Well, I love that you use the word patience because I think a lot of projects like this, when we look at the capital stacks and we're going to we're going to unscramble some of these terms that we're using for okay. our listeners. Right. Right. Uh, performance capital stacks project related Mm -hmm. investments all of this is in our jargon but it may not necessarily be accessible to the listeners so Mm -hmm. can we can we begin to demystify how a project like this is financed um it's starting with the the pri the project related investment and how how that works does that money cost a lot of money or is it low cost like talk talk to us tasha about the pri
2: okay i'll talk to you a little bit about that so um so Fisher and um Fisher and, and Kreski put together a just under three million dollars uh to with patient capital. So patient meaning money that goes out a long time, right? Mm-hmm. So uh you know it sits with you, it's it's inexpensive. Um in the case of RPRI, very inexpensive, right? You think about interest rates now are four or five percent, six, seven, eight percent. Uh, we're talking about capital that is, you know, just at the just above zero, mm, <laughs> almost know? free, almost yeah. free capital. <laughs> we're talking about almost free capital, and yeah. usually, when you think about, um, you know, the capital that goes in as equity, that money that goes in um, below where the bank gets paid. Everybody get paid first, and this is the last bit of money that gets paid back. Right, that's where our money sits. That's usually the, the money that um, has the highest interest rate right that's the money that uh-huh. um, sits in the riskiest space right the riskiest and again I'm using air quotes mm-hmm. um, but so riskiest space means higher returns we're actually in the inverted that's what makes pr- program related investments in um, critical do- dollars and um, sought after because it's in the the space that gets paid last and it's the one that gets the lowest yield of, of, yeah. of in- interest mm-hmm. return so mm-hmm. um, it's hard to it's, it's a hard resource to to secure.
1: Okay, and Can not all foundations
3: do uh, PRIs either. Um, there, there aren't. You know, everybody doesn't do it no. because of that. Just, just because of that, right? Right.
2: So,
1: one of the things that strikes me is that they already had raised their own money. They had generated their own, um, you know, salt memberships and raised money through their own mechanisms, and then they brought a project that had demonstrated community support by way of community contributions and ownership to you. Does that make a difference as opposed to somebody who has an idea and maybe three people who support it?
2: <laughs> it does. But I will say Meredith um, hit the, you know, hit the no you know, the, the nose of the right on the head is that um, um, there's not a lot of foundations that do this. And if you do, the staff is small. Right. And so mm-hmm. doing development projects are difficult for us one on one off. Right. Cause uh, it's, you know, this was a 12 year um, put to put together deal. I mean, imagine mm-hmm. a one person staff trying to think about vetting a number of projects like that throughout the city, because every single project, I don't I don't really care if you are a billionaire or a millionaire will tell you that getting projects done in the city of Detroit is very complicated and difficult. And then, unless you're just going to put all your patient capital in over a long period of time and let it sit, Um It takes time to get through a project and it takes a lot of capital to do it. So um, every project needs that kind of subsidy to help or some type of something to get done in the city of Detroit. Um, And so it's very difficult for us to actually do those one off projects. What I will say is what we're good at doing um, is coming up with solutions that can help multiple organizations, right? And that's what we'll put a plug in for the equity fund that we just put mm-hmm. in place. That that is, a, that is a that is a solution that Biara is a solution. Thinking about the number of development deals that need equity and patient money, that's low cost mm-hmm. to get across that finish yeah. line, right? And this is what this is. It is a fund that is putting money in the hands of black developers. How
1: large is the fund?
2: It's $11 million. Um, we have... All, we're hoping that this goes national and people recognize this program. We're getting a lot of calls about it because we want this to be a $100 million fund. We want this to be a $200 million fund. But we're going to demonstrate that it's needed here with the $11 million fund.
0: I mean, you ask any black developer in the city, especially you know a small-scale neighborhood-based developer, their number one need is low-cost capital.
2: Low-cost capital. Yeah. Low-cost money. Mm-hmm.
0: Low-cost money. And for banks for uh, cdfis and for foundations to redefine let's talk about this can we talk about the current definition of risk and why Thank it you. needs to be redefined <laughs> tasha or Meredith? who wants to take on that <laughs> because everybody's risk averse when it comes to uh skin folk and them doing you know stuff in, in developments in the city and all of that but I think I think we got to restructure what that means but talk a little bit about risk yeah
2: yeah yeah risk I mean so here's the thing I would say about the, the you know saying things about risk um there's so many levels of risk but the one that gets applied is to your point is like to the entity itself like you know oh this is risky this development is risky but what they when you when you pull that apart we're talking about the market itself, you know, they're talking about risk in the market of Detroit, right? Um, and if there's any volatility in that, um, can, we, can we truly believe that Detroit can, 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 you know, manifest better kind of returns for, for this type, you know, for this? Because we know that there's poverty here. We know that it's, you know, we know that um, markets have been disinvested over time. Can we, do we actually believe that this one project can actually help? reinsert you know more investment in the marketplace that's what they're you know that's what they really should be talking about mm-hmm. not but what it sounds like when we talk about risk when they say oh well this is too risky it seems like it's being put on the entity right it mm-hmm. seems like it's being put on these you know, on, on, on on black developers and so that's one of the reasons why this fund hopefully will will, will change that some of that narrative because this is not about we're going to give the entity the capital that it needs to get the project across and the patience to, to move so now we're going to prove that some of these other risk factors can be addressed, right? It feels of, like
1: we have some of the highest performing best-selling stores in, in 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 the area. So we have a the best-selling Foot Locker is in Detroit, and right? And on Warren Avenue, and 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 <laughs> right? And um, you know, you have Whole Foods, um, Whole Foods is 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 so profitable the Meyer people and come River Town is Meyer always Rivertown, crowded. So we know always. that That these projects tend to sometimes it feels as though the perception of risk is built on formulas that Mm -hmm. are misapplied in our community. And so can you Mm -hmm. talk about um, moving beyond the formulaic Mm. assessment of value to say, wait a minute, churches are going to travel farther and do more for these businesses that's a yeah,
3: question. so one of the things that I am probably we're we're starting to have the conversation internally at Fisher around is what is the risk of not investing in it, mm. Mm. right? Instead of looking at the mm. risk of investing? Mm-hmm. What's the risk if we don't do it? That's like great we're, we're, what's the risk to community? What's the risk to um, health and wellness? What's the risk to equity? and continuing inequity around some of these things. And so I think that that's something that we're trying to embrace and we're trying to demonstrate the risk tolerance of a greater risk tolerance by looking at it from the reverse. And I I can say that, you know, in some ways we're, we're demonstrating that because we're, we're the first in sometimes when, you know, we always, I'm not a boxing person, but they always talk (laughs) about punching above your weight class or something like that. Mm -hmm. Like, um, you know, we came in before Kresge did. did. And you came in, you yes, came in to a neighborhood that's not Brightmore. It's not Brightmore. Is but that it's new? It's, is
1: that are you guys looking outside of Brightmore yeah. for things like this? And now? so
3: the good thing about the impact investing at Fisher is I, I could be a little more opportunistic and offer some opportunities at um, you know, at the at the the um, at the committee table. That aren't Brightmore that are Detroit-wide that yes. are you know going to impact um, just the important things that we're you know and we're that the things that are important to us community mm-hmm. economic development health and wellness um, and so this is one of those projects that we were able to to offer that's not Brightmore specific but is good for the entire city. Yes, and I'll
2: add to that you know like and then you add data on top of that right so when so you started talking about Whole Foods and you talked about mm-hmm. the different um, you know proof points that we have in the marketplace. Add some more data to that. Think about the work that um, J.P. Morgan did and um, uh, Detroit Economic Growth Corporation Mm -hmm. did around leakage, right? Looking at where people are spending all of their dollars. Like, let's actually track where people are spending their money. And if we put the right type of businesses in the right neighborhoods where we see people are... Um, craving that. They're looking for this. I mean, you look at the avenue of fashions, right? I mean, you put the right type of businesses in the right neighborhoods where people are actually driving miles to have that service or that food for that or that good provided. Bring that into the neighborhoods and it will do just fine here, right? That dollar the, will turn right And that's here.
1: the tie-in to you, right? Because in two thousand and Late 16, 16 yeah. I believe. Um, <laughs> I took over at Eastside Community Network, and we were looking for an opportunity to get support for our work on Mac Avenue. We had this vision that there was a lot of leakage, and there's actually reports uh, that there's a lot of leakage, um, mm-hmm. retail leakage on the east side of Detroit, um, and also that there's a lot of opportunity on Mac, and also that Mac is a boundary between Detroit and several gross points. Sure. depending mm-hmm. on where you are Mac. Yeah And so we wanted to do a study that would analyze how we could mm-hmm. strengthen Mac Avenue. And JP. Morgan Chase, under your leadership, paid for that, right? And we were able to get a study completed, and, um, and, and we've had continuous JP. Morgan Chase funding for this project since you gave us our seat funding. Every year, it's like, okay, we not, we're not sure we're going to fund you again. And it's like, okay, we'll give you two more years. <laughs> so, <laughs> so we feel very blessed. Sometimes a little higher, a little bit lower. But we did our first study, and we took our findings, and we built this relationship with Girls Point Park in Detroit. And this is at a time where everybody's arguing over Kerchival, but we're – Breaking bread on Mac, right? And Orlando is central to that planning process. Um, I think the mayor of Gross Point Park was the first person at our planning meeting would at ECN. Us. He, would he beat us, beat us at our like, meetings. how did you get here first? Yeah. He was so excited. Mm-hmm. And then we found out that Gross Point and Gross Point City of Gross Point and Gross Point Farms had completed a study trying to figure out how to activate Mac. And they came to us and said, Hey, we want to be part of your planning process. So we expanded our borders to include those Gross Point communities. Mm-hmm. They received funding from SIMCOG, which is the first time we received funding that brought these communities together. Oh, wonderful. Mm-hmm. And we have a planning study that now goes from Connor. To, we have two planning studies. Then the mayor of Grosse Point Park, uh, Grosse Point, I got to get these cities. The city, city. city went to um, Representative Joe Tate and he says, hey, can you get us some money for a... Um, a streetscape planning process, mm-hmm. and so we ended up getting you know two hundred thousand dollars from the state for streetscape planning. Um, We've received money from NEI. We've received money from the um, Wayne County Community Development Economic Development rather. We've received oh, sure. money from the Ralph Wilson Fund um, for Economic Development to work in Gross Point. We now have three staff working in redevelopment. We've been able to give out loans during the pandemic to help keep businesses open. We gave out loans to clean up flood water Um, and our businesses during this pandemic business activity has increased on Mac Avenue. (laughs) And several of them are black owned businesses that are um, on on both sides of the street. And it all started with you believing in our ideas. And this wasn't even $21 million. What this was was you believing in a vision Mm -hmm. That we, that we could leverage our strengths and come together. So we meet and we have this executive committee meeting. And then earlier this week, I believe, or last week, late last week, when the budget was approved um, for the state, mm-hmm. we got $600,000 towards dang, Streetscape that. investment no. after <laughs> oh, our Streetscape dang. planning process is over. <laughs> I'm not there no more. That's I know, right? Up? And so every time I look, up, I might be missing some funding. It's mm-hmm. been very, very productive. We are working with business owners and helping them grow. Um, it's really exciting. On Sunday, I went to cornerstone villages and I had the best chicken and waffles. I have had period hands down. So if you're looking for a good brunch and chicken and waffles, <laughs> head over to cornerstone villages on Mac,
2: right black down. owned
1: <laughs> Thursday night, they've got a DJ Friday. They've got an R and B and every other Wednesday they have blues. Okay. And this is a business that did not exist before we were there. And we help support them. We're still helping to support them with their expansion goals. Um, I think sometimes it takes a funder who believes that you can make change and who is willing to do just more than um, fund best practices and actually recognize best practices. (laughs) You know the language. (laughs) You got to go and prove that somebody else did it and you can do the exact same thing on the East side of Detroit. And these are our share conditions, but that's not the kind of funder that you have Mm. been. You've been a person who invests in people's ideas. And I know that's what you've been doing, Meredith. Um, and I, th- I think that that, mm-hmm. again, speaks to your love of the community mm-hmm. and the fact that you see an impact yourself. Is, would, would that be true?
3: Absol- yes. <laughs>
2: yeah. All of that. I mean, yeah. Yeah. And, this, and this, it goes back, Donna. <laughs> and thank you, Donna. That's where, you know, like it's,
3: it's. Very kind. It
2: was so important for me to remember that the reason I'm sitting in this seat is because I, I want, I, I re- so I remember my mother talking about, Detroit very differently than what I experienced it as a kid. Right. Um, and then as I, you know, I remember her talking about like the vibrancy coming from the South, right. She came up here from the South and she remember seeing all these black, you know, leaders and, you know, just like, you know, she was, she was mesmerized when she moved up here from, from the South and what was happening in, in our city and stayed. And she talked about this, but she couldn't take me to certain areas of the city to experience it the way because it, it was it didn't exist the same way. You know, so so many things happened as you know, in our history, as you pointed out in 67, only things that changed, um, uh, you know, all of these black businesses that were around, you know, that were in these corridors. And um, I started to see this again, you know, in my career, I started to see this is what my mother talked about later on in ninety nines when it was, you know, Detroit was starting to have this really strong comeback and then to see that you know like kind of disappear again in 2008 and started to see all these black businesses close and we started seeing so much talent leave the city and you know like people all of our real estate talents and going to other places to develop it was just heartbreaking you know especially mm-hmm. from as a banker it was heartbreaking to see um you know all these black developers and all of our ecosystem kind of to kind of empty out and then once you start to have this resurgent, in the city, it wasn't black developers.
0: Talk about it. Mm-hmm. Talk right? about it then.
2: Right, it wasn't yeah. the black. It okay, all right. Yeah. Now uh, we have an opportunity when f- the foundation community is coming together and putting together like things like Strategic Neighborhood Fund and all these different initiatives mm-hmm. that were you know led by the foundation community, kind of putting these dollars together um, to make sure that we can actually rebuild an ecosystem that serves developers and serves a real estate community i mean this is the moment that i've been like looking for in my career i'm getting all excited i'm smiling on phone. <laughs> because and in, 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 you know that's you know it was it was leadership in, in, in with people like sarita and meredith and keona, keona cowan and mm-hmm. you know now we have like jason tinsley that is a market leader at chase, at chase mm-hmm. and yeah. you've got jason pauliteer and Brian elliot and yep. all these folks that um are now sitting in these spaces you know, at and managing money and capital and kind of moving it strategically throughout our marketplace that we can now see um, this resurgence in the, in the real estate market um, with black leadership and black and brown leaders. Women, you're seeing women, you know, black women moving on projects. I'm like excited about this, this space, but it is because we have nav- navigators. We're all of navigators, capital navigators that um, sit in these important spots within philanthropy, within Banking, in, in, yeah. you know, incorpor, corporation, bank in corporations, the banking in circle that can help you figure out how to start to, you know, move these major projects that we need to in the real estate market along.
0: And so. in a place like Detroit, you know, seventy nine percent black. When we have a new a new guard of black philanthropic professionals across the sectors and foundations and corporations and in banking and y'all are actually talking to each other and you know talking strategy and now we're seeing it you know sort of show up for black folks who have ideas to expand on those ideas and make good on them or to learn lessons. Black people were not afforded the opportunity to learn lessons. You know, like and fail. That, right? Oh, say, well, speak about you know, that. You know what I'm saying it's like and still it's, it, it's in some, you, know. you know what I mean? Like folks, you know, other folks get to say, "Oh, well, we learned this. It didn't it didn't work. We don't get to we got to doctor up a grant report to make to make it seem like a success." But uh this new guard of, you know, black you know, philanthropic professionals sort of like, you know, it gives me hope, especially that y'all are talking to each other. I think about Angelique Power as well and how how she has entered into this space um and how she talks about shepherding capital um is, you know, it's it's encouraging.
1: Right. I just think that, you know, um don't forget Darnell Adams, who has not been at the Gilbert Family Foundation for long. Mm-hmm. You know, he sits on our um executive yes. committee at ECN and so I think it was January. I was like, you know, going to create this sustainable housing department and we're going to pull our work for um, DTE energy efficiency together with our tax foreclosure prevention work and we had a rain ready homes program where we are um, installing back um, backflow preventer valves and homes now we've been doing this the city's been doing this. the city I think has completed four we've completed seven so mm-hmm. we are beating the city at this although they're going to do a couple thousand <laughs> I guess but we you know we we have this house in different departments and we said let's pull it all together and so he said okay that's and he's looking at me and he says let's talk and the next thing I know they've pulled together this home repair fund And they've leveraged, um, I think it's Green Healthy Homes and DTE and one other entity I can't think of, to come together and invest in home repair. So now those people who are having tax or closure prevention also have access to the DTE Energy Home Repairs, which we've been doing, but then added on additional repairs. And it really does take people in those spaces. I'm seeing people trying to figure out how to move mountains my question for you is, if I'm a business owner and you talk about capital stacks and you talk about capital navigators, where do I go to find <laughs> out about all of these stacks and navigators? Because I'm trying to navigate the you language clearing myself. House. Yeah. Um, yeah. Where do you go? I looked at the alphabet soup that DG puts out <laughs> and it's like, I don't even know if I'm a business owner, where Where do you start this
0: journey? What What, what do you recommend? Or an aspiring business owner. Yeah. All right.
2: Yeah, so if I'm a business owner, I'll start with um, I plug charity all and right. Kai, right? Because <laughs> um, you know, I would think in a business and you know, an owner in a business out, space that yeah. is that's a space where yeah. they're definitely you know very versed, right? They you know they know the city inside and out mm-hmm. from their background, and then they actually um, they talk to all of, you know all of the the ecosystem of like the capital ecosystem, and they're they're going to get you ready. And I also want to be careful about saying getting ready. So you know, like businesses know their skill. You know, they know their craft. Mm-hmm. It's about, like, figuring out all of the red tape, you know, mm-hmm. and then, you know, being able to navigate those Thanks barriers, right, that. right yeah. that, that, you know, keep you from getting to the right. capital. Right. They ready, they're they ready, gotta, right? they're ready. They're ready, right? They're ready. for naming that. Right? Mm-hmm. You know, they know what the community needs and what's happening. It's about, like, what's the other pieces that help them figure. It's right. the financial. It's about yeah. being financially ready for it um, and how to get, get access to the
1: money. And some businesses are. Some businesses have to do their homework, right? That's true. You have businesses that are operating without a balance sheet. You have businesses that are operating and those businesses struggle. And I know we've talked to charity about that. When people had to apply for the PPP loans, you know, they weren't necessarily financially ready, although their services may be great. All of Mm -hmm. the back room stuff. And so I think that's the beauty of the Metro Detroit Black Business Alliance is that they are working with businesses to get Mm -hmm. them ready. Black businesses in our community. That's right. It's a great plug. And it's also important, though, that people don't just come to these spaces and assume they're going to do all the work. It's still a lot of work on part of the businesses, right? Oh, yeah, <laughs> And most of the small
3: business loan funds in the city have some kind of technical assistance capacity building arm that's connected to it. So, if, you know, you bake pies. That's what you do. But, you know, you got to know how much your pie costs you make and what you write. And so there's all these other assistance, uh, these things that are built into the loan funds to help them. Biz Loan is one that we've invested in that works with multiple entities to to provide this assistance to make sure that the business owners really are Kind of have a fuller picture of what what in, what it entails to, to actually run their business. Absolutely, yeah.
2: absolutely.
1: Yeah. But I know so many business owners who don't want to yeah. do that amount of work, and then um, they don't want to have to learn those mm-hmm. skills. And that's one of the challenges we have. And I I, I mm-hmm. really really give credit to our staff working with businesses and doing some handholding. Yeah. That I know it seems it's hard. Hot yeah, I it know is. it's frustrating when you're saying, okay, we have to look at this, but you have to think differently. We've actually had a lot of success working with Errol Service, who's mm. been working with a lot of business owners on the corridor. If oh, you don't wow, know him, amazing. Errol yeah. Services of McDonald's yeah. fame sure. has been getting business owners ready for great. loans, right?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, we hung out at Mackinac. Yeah, that's mm. really great. He's yeah. doing great work. So mm-hmm.
1: um, <laughs> um, I, I think that that's the hard part. And it's whether it's a nonprofit business or a for-profit mm-hmm. business. Um, this is not easy work. Malik did the work.
3: He did the work over, a long, <laughs> over a long period of time, and you know, learned some things he didn't know he needed to know. Right? That's I right. mean, that we all get in those spaces where we're just like, "Wow, I didn't even know I needed to know this." Right?
2: Bringing Develop Detroit in, yeah. right? And Sonia yeah. Mays and her expertise, and saying, "Okay, like this is the space I know very, very well." But mm-hmm. you know, Sonia is skilled at putting together complicated transactions right and Mm -hmm. so being able to bring know that that expertise was needed to like like get over the finish line is what's
0: up yeah that's what's up and you know what what this project does for me is dispel you know this scarcity mindset that there aren't you know Detroit is I go to I go to other cities and we talk about all that's here in the city of Detroit and Detroit is philanthropically rich and other cities are like dang y'all got everybody we got little you know what i mean and so (laughs) i think that you know there is room for uh more more collaboration like this and more investment like this without us having to worry about the price tag you know what i mean like i'm not the the money's there i'm not you know what i'm saying it's just the
1: money's there but you've got to do the work for the money of course course. you got to make it easy for folks you said there's one person there's two people in these Rooms pulling yep. together this, and we're not portfolios. making the final decision yep. either, you, right? Like, so I'm you know. hearing what you're saying. <laughs> and,
0: I think and, 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 and hire some more people. It shouldn't just be two people. Y'all right. got money to hire folks. Too. Well,
3: see, now that's a whole other thing that
0: we're dealing we, with. We talked are. about that before. Yeah, yeah. it's yeah.
2: It's, 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 a, it's a talent, you know. Yeah, something else that we got to talk about. and
3: you know, we're you know we're the blacks in philanthropy in decision making roles, like total decision making roles. Yeah. Where you know where are we in leadership and in governance? Um, we need black folks on the boards of these foundations. We need black folks, Absolutely. you know, as CEO, COO. Can like we talk about
0: that? Is there is how how are you all thinking about uh, participatory grant making at mm. at every level from the board. Uh, to the C-suite, to the programmatic officer who has to interface with the community?
3: Yeah, I mean, it depends on what kind of foundation. The Fisher Foundation is a family foundation. Their board is still family members, but we've been able to add um, independent committee members. So they do have some grant-making, say, because they sit on the grant-making committees. It really just depends on the structure of the foundation. Um, But... You know, there's still a long way to go for a lot of these entities to make sure that, you know, it's not just the program officers or directors that are on the ground and connected. That's great. We need that. We need more of that. But then we still have to go back and we have to present it. We have to sell it. We have to you know go back and, you know, do the negotiating. And um, sometimes Mm. it's it's um, it's it's more difficult than others. Um, But, you know, to have us throughout in terms of the decision making would would, uh, make a things a little bit different. What yeah. does the
1: pipeline look like right because it yeah. feels like there's people who are working on the community side on the nonprofit mm-hmm. side and then there's people on the philanthropic side but it doesn't feel like there's a lot of understanding of what a pipeline might be for somebody who's interested i love that question navigating mm-hmm. to that side and yeah. and in in the board side is just completely opaque it's like
0: Who y'all mentoring? (laughs) And uh, are we talking about talent? We're talking about talent, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah.
2: So, I mean, again, our as I think about this, if I look at our organization, like the racial diversity that our organization has gone through and shifted through in the last, you know, I'll I'll just I'll say I'll call it I'll say decade five years now. I mean, like that has that pendulum has moved significant in the last five to you know five adding equity as part of our you know like one of our core. Um, values is is new as of as of 2019. So like our organization internally has does look a lot different than it did a decade ago, if you will. Um, I won't say the percentage, but I know it's it's more than 30 percent where you see black and brown um, individuals at, at you know inside of the organization in managing directing positions. You know like all shout the way through and yeah. right. Shout out to Wendy Lewis and you think about all of the other. Um, I know Raquel Hatter, mm-hmm. and you know we've got a number of of managing directors that sit at you know at that in leadership roles within the organization. And that was not the case. Again, that's going back to this navigation. It changes when you have people yeah. in in different positions of power. And now we've got folks on our board, right? We've had one or two in the past. Now we've, you know that number is continuously increase of the number of people of color that sit on our board and women that sit on our board. Nice. So. Um, just keep that trend going <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> keep that trend going and keep it in place and i don't think that you know we're we're as an organization we don't plan on backing down in that in that space from an equi- mm-hmm. equity perspective so mm-hmm. it'll continue it'll to continue grow, grow Do
0: you y'all have yeah. time to like build the bench like one of the things i loved about uh when you were at Chase Tasha is that you brought Shannon Smith along with you you know what i mean like yes. that that was an intentional investment that i That's saw right. that you made what what the bench look like
3: I mean we, we I know I've tried my best. We've brought mm-hmm. folks in. It's a small foundation though so the the bench is is a short one mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. um for right. sure, but I've also tried to be a mentor through um the Council of Michigan Foundations Sweet. for other you know young black and brown professionals who are either entering or want to enter. Um, and just providing some guidance. Um, I've had many mentors over the years. Uh, yes. Love Donna Murray Brown still to this day. Mm-hmm. To this day. <laughs> yes. And forever and ever and ever. But, you know, people like that who really lifted me up and, and, and looked out for me and just took care of me, right, um, in so many different ways. And so I just see myself being able to do that and, and being committed to doing that, whether someone wants to come into philanthropy or not. I mean. But most
1: people don't even know how to enter philanthropy. Yeah. It feels. Like something that many people. It's mystical. Who, mystical. Sure. And some of the yeah. people, you know, because I first met you,
0: Meredith, a long time Yay. ago at LISC, right? Yay. And
1: so you were, um, LISC was much more embedded in the community mm-hmm. than a lot of other things. So even though you were sort of on the program officer side, you were kind of embedded in the community pro- program officer side. Right. And Tasha took a, a, a break from banking to actually do some business development work at Vanguard. And it wasn't long, but it was in the community working with folks in the neighborhoods Mm -hmm. that gives you sort of that bird's eye view of what it's like to be there. You have people who may be coming out of college who are super smart entering into philanthropy, Mm -hmm. but they don't have their feet on the ground experience. It feels like getting people with their feet on the ground to those spaces is also important. And very few people navigate that jump.
2: Yeah, I don't—it wasn't a—you know, I always knew I wanted to be in banking, but I don't know if I could say I would land in philanthropy in this role. I mean, Mm -hmm. I was not—I didn't navigate Mm -hmm. myself into philanthropy this way. Um, It is is one of the things that I—you know, we— we probably take more calls, and I'm gonna give. I'm, I'm gonna. I'm gonna put these words in, in Meredith's mouth. She probably takes more calls about people wanting to know what she does because she's you know a superstar, and she just gets a call, she gets facts. an email. It's, it is like she's. And I know she, she does, respond. and she doesn't think about <laughs> yep. it like this. Like nope, she's getting an facts. email from somebody, and they're like, "What do you do? I want to know." It's a college student, somebody, and she just Let's like go for has, and she has coffee <laughs> with them. She doesn't think anything of it because she's not writing those numbers down, But I know she's done that a number of times because I've done it. And um, we'll continue to do it because it's it's a lot harder now to um, figure out where the talent will sit. Who wants to be in this space? In the past, going back to this, you know, our the banks convergence, we used to like pump out credit analysts, right? People that the banks used to just pump out folks of talent, and then the, you know the alternative banking world would like. Poach and pull people from the banking sector into the community development world, and that would lead into roles like this. And the community, that's how I got involved, right? That's you know, it was Urban Financial Services Coalition, and those and Black bankers, urban bankers, what it used to be called, that kind of helped me navigate where I wanted to be in my career. Now these you have larger institutions that don't train people locally, right? And so it's harder to kind of find a Shannon Smith. It's harder mm-hmm. to find folks who have like that background in in finance who want to work in Detroit and kind of figure yeah. out these complicated kind of s- subsidies, right? In the world that we live in and kind of train to that. And so we you know, we we take calls from people all the time that are kind of interested. You're interested, okay? Let's talk. <laughs> let's talk about your skill set. Let's talk about how we. Can... So
3: call
0: these yeah. places, y'all. Because Please it's, call well, us. Because it's more them.
3: than just giving money away, right? You're not Santa Claus. You don't. You right. don't go but to work even thing, just to give money away. There's exactly. like I you said. You're like working on stuff yeah. that takes a long time. But the other together. thing, the other
0: apparent connection that I see is this connection between community development and philanthropy for folks who have been on the other side of philanthropy, actually stewarding the work. And making sure that the capital that's given from grant-making organizations is is spent correctly, and all I think that that's an obvious pipeline connection that needs to be all right. Um, all right. Uh, codified, if you will, for yes. lack of a better phrase. I mean, to, we yeah. need content yeah.
3: content experts in all areas yeah. of grant making. Arts, we need artists to, artists. to, to serve in Legit. foundations. We right. do. We need folks who know these businesses, who know education, who know the arts, who, know, right. who know impact investing, who know communities. Um, I mean, to me, the, the, the best skilled grant makers are the ones, to your point, Donna, who have been there mm. and, and have brought that experience into the foundation with them.
1: Yeah, so it'd be really interesting. We have pipelines into community development Mm -hmm. as a focus um, that we are working on in our community. Um, We have a lot of people retiring as executive directors. It's like, Lord, who's going to replace them? What is the pipeline of Mm -hmm. talent? And are we really doing a good enough job preparing people to lead organizations, not Mm -hmm. just do work, right? Right. Um, And I know that U of D Mercy has a, a master's in community development. Is there a masters in philanthropy anywhere, <laughs> and does there mm. need to be that? There's the Lilly School of Philanthropy at um,
3: IUPUI, wow, um, okay. in Indiana, and then the Johnson Center, um, the center at gonna the, gonna the Grand Valley mm-hmm. State. Um, nice. So, yeah. you know, there are some places
1: to I go, know. but Detroit. do we need more and more locally? Is does it make sense for, um, say, the Ross Business School or the School of um, Public Administration at U of M, for example, to create or carve mm-hmm. out a niche for philanthropy. Come on, Professor
0: yeah. Tasha, yes. Professor Mary. I know, you know, now, I've
1: taught
3: nonprofit management courses as an really? adjunct in the past. Nice. Yeah, but it was kind of more general management, right, and not right. necessarily around philanthropy. Um, but I do think that impact investing and, yes. and social in, um, investing is, is showing up a little bit more in business schools, for sure, right. because... You know, for impact investing, I think the best impact investors are not the Wall Street folks. Right. Sorry to all my Walls. Sorry, not sorry. But, you know, <laughs> I feel like you can you can learn finance. You can't learn working in community. You can't. Right. I mean, you know what I mean? Like yes. that, that seems like it's in you. It's part of you. So, you bring As that a mother of a together. son who
1: graduated from Ross mm-hmm. and didn't have any classes on on impact investing i'm just saying yeah, that yeah. it would have been nice to have Absolutely. something there because impact i know when he graduated that his, he was like i don't want to work in mm-hmm. just making people m- money right. and so there was no awareness of that i'm wondering if there could be some thought if you're really looking about at the bench it's got to be people mm-hmm. who can graduate with some type of credential i think mm-hmm. from more than just two or three schools in the midwest yeah, there's no, just a thought.
3: Yeah, for sure. It's we it's, it's it. trickling in slowly. It's starting after. to happen. Yeah. yeah.
0: Well, we we got to have y'all back. This yeah. was a whole lot of fun, <laughs> <laughs> and um, I think I think the city. Um, can be encouraged around this this new guard of black professionals across sectors who are mm-hmm. shepherding capital into neighborhoods it is mm-hmm. is this is monumental shout out to uh, Maliki Keeney and the work that he has been doing yes. for years yes. manifesting yeah. into something like this this is amazing and we coming we we coming we drive into it. <laughs> and
1: shout out to all the farmers.
0: And the farmers, yeah.
1: Right? Because yeah. we have such a, you know, a robust farm movement in black mm-hmm. farmers movement in the city of Detroit. They're going to benefit. Yes. I'm really excited on behalf of the farmers. Yeah. And can I just say,
3: so everyone, I think, is pretty aware of the history of the Cass Corridor Food Co-op. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But during part of this, um, part of my discovery and doing research around this, I actually found out my grandfather was the president of the Sojourner Food Co-op. That was on the east side in Conan Gardens on Conant Avenue in 1944.
1: Wow! On a picture of
3: opening day, found a picture of the sales flyer where two pounds of collard greens was like 29 cents 1944. So this is part of our history here. This is part of where we come from. Cooperation right. is we not, you it's know, not it, but it's not a new thing. It's, it's not, not a new it's thing. Intrinsic it's intrinsic in who we are. And absolutely, it really it is, is absolutely who mm. we are. I would love so, to see those pictures. I put them on Facebook. On there again. Okay,
0: okay, I again. All right, y'all, if you have topics that you want discussed on Authentically Detroit, you can hit us up on our socials at Authentically Detroit on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Or you can email us at authenticallydetroit at gmail.com. It is time for shout outs. Donna, you have any shout outs?
1: No, well, I'm just going to shout out the two women here. <laughs> Aww. <laughs> Aww. Tasha Thank and you. Meredith. And also, um, you guys are just really awesome. And Thank I want you. to honor you for the work that you do. Um, because it gives me hope. You know, I've been doing this work for a minute, and it's it has not always been possible to see people in philanthropy, and not just you, but also Kevin Ryan, and also mm-hmm. you know Nathaniel Wallace, and of course um, Sarita champion the vision of people who are doing the work in the field. So thank you for your work in that. Mm-hmm. And I also want to shout out Orlando Bailey. I don't know if anybody saw the Secret Society for Twisted Storytellers. Um, it was Lion <laughs> King. It was the, on June. 17th uh,
0: Don't start me to lie.
1: June 18th. It was June 18th. It was oh, the day before. I, I had just come back in town. It was June 18th. Orlando was amazing. And I know Thank everybody you. knows Orlando is amazing. And so yes. I was like, let me put this on <laughs> yes. TV. You know? And I broadcast it to my TV. And Kevin and I were watching it. And I was just like almost in tears. It was so good. Aww. So you, um, I missed it. I, I missed it being in person because I had just come back in town. I was just trying to, you know, get over jet lag. But Orlando, that was amazing.
0: Thank you. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Uh, Tasha Meredith any shout outs
1: I think just my black philanthropy peers yes.
0: um
3: and you know what they're they're we work together but we I, they're just people you want to be with like you want to hang out with Tash and Kevin and Nate and Sarita and then my people just to you know have a cocktail with and some laughs. I mean they're just good folks so shout out to all of them just for who
0: you yeah. are Kevin was the first money in for authentically Detroit there was. First right money now. in. Right um, I want to shout out. I saw so many black uh, young professionals celebrating over the last week because they were named to the Michigan Chronicles. There you go. Okay. There
2: you go. And gonna, it go.
0: is really, really cool to see us honor us, mm-hmm. right? Um, and so... Uh, I think, I think Darnell was in that class, Donna. He um, was. And so. And Shannon.
2: Well, Shannon was, Shan, Shan Shan was, was in that ready. class. was in that class. Yeah.
0: And Jason Hetton and yes. Yes. Nicole. Um, oh my God. I can't remember Nicole's last name from Detroit Hives. Yeah. Is in that class. So I, I messed up. I started naming names. I'm sorry. <laughs> I am sorry. D- Daniel Jones from Good Boy. Everybody. So I saw so many folks celebrating and it's really, really dope uh, for, you know, folks to receive their flowers and that that kind of honor from the Michigan Chronicle they it makes so many people happy and it was a fun it was really fun to see so congratulations to all of the 40 under 40 nice. honorees.
1: You know Darnell has such a distinctive walk and I didn't realize that until <laughs> I saw a video Gerilyn Gaines was recognized and I know her mom and dad and I'm looking at like this Gerilyn I wonder what she's been and then Darnell walked out and I was like, oh, 40 under 40. Yeah. <laughs>
0: 40 under 40. So shout out to the Chronicle for honoring uh, black talent um, and making it a making it special, making everybody feel special. All right, that's gonna do it for this episode of Authentically Detroit. We thank you for listening. We want you to catch the wave. Yeah.